0: Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our current self-titled series, we are looking at what it means to answer the call to be a disciple-maker of disciple-makers. Today's speaker is Senior Minister, Gideon Bacon. I'll fly away. You know, there's some things that just warm the heart, some things that just bring a smile, some things that just evoke those warm fuzzies. Doesn't that do that for you? Yeah? Yeah? Certain songs, certain... Certain things, you know, uh, I think about those warm fuzzies, I think about the things that, that make me kind of, you know, you experience it and just, it just brings something warm, deep inside. How about, how about the smell of something delicious cooking in the kitchen? Yeah? You wake up, you smell bacon <laughs> being cooked up. Yeah, I know, I know. Right. Just the other day, we were coming home from being out. It was dark, and uh, when we came home, the lights were all off on the house. And I'm like, "E, it didn't feel so good. I like it when the lights are on, right? You like to come home and the lights are on, at least the lights there at the front door, and to see the lights on and, and shining through the windows, shining through the living room, you like to see the lights on. Why? Because seeing the lights on evokes that warm fuzzy, Right? Someone's home, family's there, it's warm, it's safe. After a long journey, you can come home. Why? Because the lights are on. What is it about having the lights on that just just gives us that that sense of of warmth, of safety, of peace? My kids would not go to sleep unless the nightlight was on. How many had kids that did that? Would not go to sleep unless the nightlight was on in their room? The fan was blowing, because they liked the white noise, and the nightlight was also on in the bathroom. Please make sure it's on, Daddy. Why? Well, there's something powerful about the light being on in the dark, right? Somehow deep within us, we know that, that the light on means that we, we have hope, there's safety, there's, there's warmth, there's comfort. Bad things happen in the dark, right? On an emotional level, we have this sense that uh, things... That happen in our dark are not good. In the dark, we feel unsafe. We feel lost. We feel unable to find our way to the place we need to. We need a light on, and when we turn on the light, everything changes. There's something powerful about the light being on in the darkness. That just evokes deep within us this sense of of warmth, of safety, of, of being able to be okay, of home, of belonging. Now, it's this emotion that one particular Bible writer, one particular apostle likes to connect with. It's this emotion connected to the light as opposed to what happens in the darkness. This emotion that the apostle John uses on a continual basis to communicate a truth regarding Jesus in fact he says Jesus is the light of the world if you have your Bibles with you, you can look in your bulletins. You can see we're going to check in with a writing from John. John is writing to Christians. He's he's an old man now in the faith, and he's writing to, to a church that was under his jurisdiction of responsibility to shepherd. And he's writing to these Christians, and he's writing to them at a time in which they were dealing with some serious issues, issues regarding doctrine, issues regarding people coming into the church who were preaching things that were not in line with the truth. In fact, these people were, were dealing with an assault of the darkness in the form of false doctrine, false teaching. And John writes to them, and he taps into this imagery of light and dark in order to encourage them, in order to, to guide them, in order to help them get through. 1 John chapter 1, right at the beginning. This is his introduction. He says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, if you have your bulletin, circle word of life, very powerful right there. And the life was manifested, and if we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, shown to us, what we have seen And heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Circle that word, fellowship. That's another powerful concept that's going to run throughout this conversation about light and dark. We may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be complete. So John is, is introducing... What he's about to talk about in his letter to these Christians dealing with this false doctrine, he begins by by basically affirming where he's coming from, reminding them that he and his fellow apostles have shared with these believers a message about the word of life. Now, another famous uh, common concept with John is, is this concept of the word. If you read in his gospel, he refers to Jesus as the word. And so we know here that this is him saying that we're gonna, uh, what we're telling you, what I'm sharing with you is stuff that I've experienced personally, stuff that I've heard uh, right there, stuff that I've, I've, I've been part of regarding Jesus, the word of life. What, I, what, what we began with is us telling you that which we've seen and experienced ourselves Regarding Jesus, and what we're telling you regarding Jesus is that Jesus provides you a way in which you can have—and here's the important word—fellowship with God. What we're what we started with is is an eyewitness testimony from from me and my fellow apostles sharing it with you, so that uh, the good news about Jesus—that there is a way in which you can can find the light, the way in which you can be made right with God, and you can have Fellowship through faith. And what's, what's fellowship mean? Well, fellowship is more than just uh, coming together and having food, because that's typically what we make it at a church sometimes. But now, fellowship is a very powerful word. Fellowship is a word that, that in the original is koinonia, and, and the word koinonia, you can kind of hear it in the way it's said. Koinonia is the word we get common or communion from, right? Fellowship is, is a word in which, that has to do with connection and communication and closeness. It's a relationship word. It's a word that, that, that has to do with, with being in harmony with another. And in the context of the Bible story, if you're familiar, you know that that what Adam and Eve had in the garden with God, right there in the beginning in Genesis, what they had was fellowship with God. They walked with God. They lived, knew God, and they had closeness with God. In fact, we're told that God would walk with Adam through the garden. And so this concept of koinonia is right there in the beginning, but it's what was lost when sin entered into the world, when man disobeyed. What God instructed him to do when man sinned and went on his own way, what was lost was koinonia, was fellowship with God. But John says that fellowship now can be returned, restored, fixed through faith in Jesus. And this is what we share with you. The good news that, that, that fellowship is now available for us because of Jesus with God. But the fellowship with God also results in fellowship with others because that's how God works. It's all about loving God, loving people, right? And he says, no, not only do we have fellowship through Jesus with God, we have now fellowship with a family of believers, of, with others when we live by faith, when we live in the light. And now we shift into this conversation about light and dark. Follow along. He says, please please go along as I read. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light and in him there is no darkness on all. Now, now get, get back to that, that, that feeling, that, that emotion of, of being safe, of being in the light, of being welcome home. That's what he's tapping into. And he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we ha- say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we, do not have, we, we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Now, the problem facing the church... At the time of John's writing, the problem facing the believers that he's penning his letter to was a doctrine that was based in the Greek philosophy of dualism. Let me get a little technical here, but it's important to understand this to to get where we need to be right now. Dualism basically said that things of the spirit are good and things of the flesh or material are bad. And so... This doctrine applied to Christianity said, well, then everything that you do physically is, going to, is bad anyway. So if we're going to be spiritual and if we're saved by God and we're safe and that's in our spirit, then really it doesn't matter what you do with your body. You know that you are without sin because it's in the spirit. You, you, your body doesn't affect your spirit. Well, that's a false doctrine. That's not correct. And so that's why these people were saying, hey, uh, we don't sin. We can't sin because we live in the physical. Our spirit is cleansed by God. We're fine with God. It's this doctrine that will will manifest the, 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 the false idea that Jesus didn't come into the world as a man. He wasn't flesh and blood. Why? Because flesh and blood is physical, and therefore it is sin. And therefore, Jesus, if he's perfect, couldn't be physical. He was a spiritual being, and and so John will address this issue of of denying the the humanity of Christ. Now, I don't want to get too far into the weeds in this doctrine, but what I want to get to is, is recognize that the landing place of this doctrine is an issue that we deal with on a daily basis. The landing place of this doctrine is the issue of image maintenance that every one of us today faces. I mean... Social media, our tweets and our posts and and our commentary is really the perfection of putting out an image that we want the world to see who we are. And, And we are masters of image maintenance. We are masters of projecting images of ourselves that we believe others are going to see and accept and be impressed by so that we can get what we're looking for in life. And this is prevalent, unfortunately, really in the church. Because in the church we're concerned about how we look to others, and particularly, most importantly, we're concerned about how we appear to be when we're following God. Church is notorious. Whenever we do a survey and we say, "So, how many times do you come to church?" People will notoriously say they come more often than they actually do. You know why? Because they don't want to be looking bad to the people receiving the survey, but more importantly, they want to tell themselves that they are better than they are when they come to think about their relationship with God. We are masters of image maintenance. We give out the image that we don't sin. We give out the image that we are okay. We give out the image that everything is okay because we don't feel safe. We feel threatened. We don't have... John would say, come to the place of fellowship with God and with others. John Ortberg tells the following story. He he quotes one of his mentors, a man named Dallas Willard. Willard tells a story about a a two-and-a-half-year-old girl in her backyard who one day discovered the secret of what she called uh, making mud mud. What she called warm chocolate. Her grandma had been reading at the time, and the little girl had started mixing up warm chocolate together, two and a half year old, uh, and, and she had made this and had gotten everywhere, and grandma had discovered it. Oh, no. And so she cleaned her up and cleaned up the mess. And she told little Larissa, Stop making warm chocolate, okay? It's making a mess, it's nasty, don't do that. And she then turned her chair now to face her granddaughter to observe her in her play. So the little girl, ignoring her grandma because she knew she had grandma around a pinky, um, continued to get in the process of making her warm chocolate, but she posted a a, a request as sweetly as a -a two-and-a-half-year-old can make it. She said to her grandma, she said, Don't look at me, Nana, okay? Now, Nana, being a little codependent, as Nanas tend to be, obliged and closed to eyes. <laughs> Larissa continued to manufacture warm chocolate. Three times, she said, as she continued to work, Don't look at me, Nana, okay? Don't look at me, Nana, okay? Willard then writes, Thus the tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is to us that we be unobserved in our wrongs. Any time we choose to do wrong or to withhold doing right, we choose hiddenness as well. It may be that of all our prayers that are never spoken, the most common one, the quietest one, the one that we least acknowledge making is simply this. Don't look at me, God, okay? It was the very first prayer spoken after the fall. God came to walk in the garden to be with the man and the woman, and he called, "'Where are you?' I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, Adam answered, so I hid. Don't look at me, God, okay? Don't look at me, God. I don't like what you will see. I don't feel safe enough to come out from the hiddenness. It's ironic we love the light, but we're also terrified of the light in many ways. Frederick Brechner said, If there is a terror about darkness because we cannot see, there's also a terror about light because we can see. There's a terror about light because much of what we see in the light about ourselves and our world we would rather not see, would rather not have been seen. And thus we go to the encouragement of the Apostle John, right, where he brings words of comfort. He says, you know, the, the, if you want fellowship with God, if you want to walk in the light, you have to come out of the darkness. Fellowship with God and fellowship with others requires a risk, a, a step of courage, and openness in a very biblical practice called confession. And John assures us in his word, he says, we can walk in the light and when we do sin, and we will sin and we will, we will fail, and we will mess up, we will have parts of our, our, our self that are, are dark and we are ashamed to be exposed. But when we do that, we can be confident that God forgives and God blesses he doesn't condemn he doesn't crack us down and shame us like some of the experiences that we have in our world which may force us not to want to be open because every time we are open we're brutalized and hurt and 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 sure it's not safe to be open in the world but with God he says because of Jesus you can be assured that there's forgiveness And we don't have to believe the lies we tell ourselves regarding that because God's word is true. Being open with him allows us then to be someone who is open with others. It's amazing how openness begets openness. Openness to God begets openness to others. The more open you are with God, the more realization that you become a person who is a safe place that can foster not only uh, your confession in the community with God then fosters your ability to create a community of confession with others. But we have to have the courage to be open. Debbie Boone shares a story about her son, Jordan. For two years, she had going, been going loggerheads with a boy about getting up in time to go to school. She couldn't figure out how to get him up because he was always running late, sleeping longer than he should. So one day, accidentally, uh, she left the shade up in his room. And when the sun came up and the light poured into the room, guess what happened? Jordan got up. Jordan woke up. The presence of light solved the problem completely. Debbie took that lesson to heart for herself as she read the Bible one morning. She asked the Lord to show her how to let his light awaken the places in her heart. She was content to leave sleeping in darkness. To expose herself to God's light, she must leave the window shades of her heart open and willingly allow him to change her. My family likes to tease me because I have a tendency, because I guess I'm not a friend around these parts, I have a tendency to really uh, botch up some common American sayings. Kind of like, you know, uh, Ricky Ricardo in the TV show, I Love Lucy, and you know you mess them up, or even more recently, Balky Bartokomus in the show, Perfect Strangers. I don't say things quite correctly, the one that they always bring up to me is, the time I said something, you know, the the saying is a bird in a hand is better than two in the bush. I think Benjamin Franklin, apparently some dude like that said it. But anyway, I I came up with something like, hey, a bird in the bush is better than two flying in the air. Um, And they laughed at me. I'm like, what? Where I come from, that's how they say it. No. um, That's me. I'm just, uh, that's just me. And and it doesn't discourage me because I love pithy little sayings. I love saying things that connect. I love saying things that, that capture a truth and, and holds it there for people. Let me, let me share with you some of my favorites of late. Some of you, you've, you've heard this. My mom, quoting her Irish nun school teacher, said, love everybody, trust a few, paddle your own canoe. You've heard me say that, right? Love everybody, trust a few, paddle your own. Okay, how about this one? From Bob Russell, I one time heard him say this. He's a preacher down in Louisville, retired preacher. He said, assume the best while scoping out the facts. That's a good saying, right? It gets you in a good mind. We always have an assumption to assume the worst while not scoping out the facts because we assume the worst, but assume the best while scoping out the facts. How about this one? This is from Jeff Perrine, one of my colleagues here. Uh, He's quoting Andy Stanley who said, Your system is perfectly designed to produce the results you're getting. Your system, whether it's a personal care system, life system, work system, your system is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. So you want to change the results, start tweaking the system. My grandfather, my grandfather said this many years ago, my mom reiterated this, but when, when in the midst of, of turmoil and, and having to make a decision, he, he would say, when the storms are blowing, the ships stay in the harbor. That's some good wisdom, right? When, when the midst of crisis and everything going, don't make any hasty decisions, don't make any decisions that will be life changing, sit still. When the storms are blowing, the ships stay in the harbor. Now, here's a Dede Bacon original. I've written it down for you, and this is one the staff here all the time. So, I'm going to share with you the love here. Uh, here it is: Belonging is the magic sauce. How'd you like that one? Now, shoot it up there on the screen. Belonging is the magic sauce. All right, now why do I say that? Well, it's, it's, it's a statement that I've been using to really focus in on ministry and what church is all about. We are really making an effort to becoming a discipleship. That is a Jesus-follower-making church where Jesus-followers are being trained to reach out and make Jesus-followers as Jesus intended. Go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you till the very ends of the age. Remember that. Well, that's that's that's. That's discipleship making. And how does that occur? How does that happen? How does how do we bring people from from a, t- a place where we meet them to move them along this faith development continuum, to move them from if they do not know Jesus to be born again and if they are a baby in Christ to become a, a child, to be a child in the faith, to grow up to be a teen or young adult in the faith, from a teen to become a parent in the faith who is discipling and, and shepherding others. How do we, we do that? Well, the way it works from my observation and prayer and everything else and from this text, because the key word is fellowship, is belonging is the magic sauce. Loving God, loving people works when there's belonging. What makes fellowship happen? What is, how does fellowship occur? It, it occurs when, first and foremost, there's an effort to create belonging, to create a relational environment where we invite people to participate in the, in the activities of our faith, in the activities of our life. And when they bring, come into our lives, guess what happens? We find that belonging leads to believing, which helps people grow in their faith. That's the build part of their faith which helps them be a servant because sometimes we invite them to serve with us and they begin to have a faith in Jesus and then they become a servant for Christ and, and they develop and that helps them also facilitate the bringing of people into a relationship with God because belonging is the magic source. It all happens because of belonging. To have fellowship, we have to be individuals that understand that belonging is the magic source. And in order to have belonging, we have to be open. In order to be open, we have to walk in the light. As, as John said, in order to be walk in the light, we have to allow the light to not to walk away. The darkness in us, openness to God, allows us to be open to others so that we might have fellowship, so that they might be, we might be agents of belonging that can bring people in so that they can believe. See, fellowship with God is walking in the light, and it's safe. It is safe. I don't know, we struggle with that reality because of the wounds and the hurts and the things that we can't explain that are deep inside of us, maybe things from our childhood, and abandonments and hurts and cuts and beatings and, 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 and wounds that, that, that we may not even know where of, or we may be aware of it, but we can't deal with so we have it come out in other ways but truth is is that in Christ we have a safety that if we confess and if we open up to his truth the light shines in and in that we have fellowship with God it's safe and in that we become agents of creating safe environments because belonging is the magic sauce people come to believe because they're invited to belong, it's the Jesus way right I, in my personal Bible study I'm, I'm working through The gospel of Luke, came across a story in Luke 19 of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Remember that one? Zacchaeus was a tax collector in the town of Jericho. Jesus is traveling through Jericho. Zacchaeus was a man that did not belong. He didn't belong to God, we find out. Why? Because he was a thief. He was a tax collector that was extorting his own people and his lifestyle was such that he was extorting his people from the position of power that he had taken. He was a thief. He wasn't Belonging to God, but he was looking for it. And he didn't belong to his people either because they hated him. Because he was a traitor. He was taking taxes for himself and for the occupying nation of Rome, the empire of Rome. He didn't belong to, he didn't belong to people either. But then Jesus comes into his life. So Zacchaeus was curious to see Jesus. He climbs up a tree because he was small. But also because people wouldn't let him in. They're like, oh, get out of here, Zacchaeus, you jerk. Anyway, and so he climbs up the sycamore tree. For the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed away, he looked up in the tree and he said, what? Now, Sunday school, we used to go like this. Zacchaeus, you come down, right? But I don't think Jesus was Zacchaeusing with the finger wag, right? Zacchaeus, he was like, Zacchaeus, you come down. Invitation. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus's house. What is he doing? He's creating belonging. He says, hey, I am come. And he creates a, a place of safety. Zacchaeus comes down the tree, they go to his house. Zacchaeus' life is transformed. And well, what we find out that Zacchaeus finds salvation. He finds forgiveness through his faith and interaction with Jesus. Jesus shows us the way that belonging leads to believing. And we, if we are right with God, we need to become agents of being right with others and inviting them, inviting them into the safety of relationship. That helps them understand what it means to know Christ. Because belonging leads to believing. And this is the ministry that Jesus has given to us as the church. You know, I've often thought about why do we do the things we do in Sunday service? What's the purpose of it? Why do we sing together? You know why we sing together? Because we verbalize physically our things that we believe to be true I'll fly away. What are we verbalizing? We're verbalizing the hope that we have that in Jesus we're going to have heaven and that we won't die, but we will be taken up in the sky and resurrection on the day that he returns. We're verbalizing that which we believe together, singing together, clapping together. We are participating in what? Belonging. Fellowship with God and with each other. Why do, we, why do we come around and, and have a message preach? Well, we have a message preached that, that, that is encouraging us to engage, to connect with God and connect with others. Why do we take up offering? We take up offering because we are inviting folks in the church to belong by participating through generosity in ministry events that blesses others. We connect with God in obedience and giving, but we connect with others. Hey, I want to let you know, a couple of weeks ago, was it, we took an offering for our Houston mission trip? Remember that? We took an offering. We have 93 Mount Carmel people going to Houston in July to do mission work and rebuilding houses. They're joined by like 20-something, 23 folks from the Parkside Christian Church, our sister congregation there in Anderson. Well, we're going in July to go out there, and we offered up to the congregation, said, hey, would you participate? Would you take this opportunity to belong to show that you are open to God and open to others would you be generous in giving an above and a beyond gift to this work we would like to raise an extra 15,000 that will go to the already assigned budget from from our plans that will go to facilitate our ability to serve in Houston 15 grand is what we asked for right remember that well, as of now, we've collected $15,471.83. Yeah! Yeah, God, Mount Carmel Christian Church, belonging is the magic sauce, right? just wanted you to hear from... Tim and Aaron, Tim is our facilities director, Aaron is our student minister, hear from them. Uh, They went out just not too long ago and did a scout trip of what needs to be done in Houston. Just as we continue to celebrate and to remember that openness to God and openness to others is what ministry is all about. Uh, Just hear what they have to say regarding that. Hi, everybody. It is Aaron and Tim here. And we had the privilege to go down to Houston last week. And uh, this this trip has shaped up to be the largest team we've ever taken and the furthest distance we've ever traveled for a disaster relief trip. And we gained a lot of insights last week. Yeah, we got to meet with the organization that we're going to be working with, 4B. We got to see where we're going to be staying. We got to visit the tool bank, which is going to supply us with a lot of tools. I know many of you have asked why these people weren't covered by insurance. Well, they don't live in a flood plain, and they got 55 inches of rain in just a little over a day's time. Their annual average is 45, so this was all flood water from rain, and none of them had flood insurance. So basically, FEMA helped the lower percentage. Those that could afford are doing it themselves, but there's a huge gap in the middle that the churches are covering, and that's where we're stepping in to take over there, so it's it's going to be an exciting trip. It's going to be a, a, a hot, adventurous trip, but uh, we're, we're really looking forward to it. And we are so thankful for you, um, whether you are signed up to go on the trip with us and do the, the manual labor, or you've been praying for us, or you've supported us financially. We couldn't be more thankful for you guys. So thanks. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.